Acts chapter 2. Jump down to verse number 41 is where we'll begin tonight. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41. Tonight we're continuing on in a series that we've been looking at, The Church Ablaze, going through the book of Acts, and um, we're continuing from a, um, the theme last week we began looking at here in Acts chapter 2 is what is a New Testament church. And last week we read these verses, let's read them again, we'll review with what we looked at last week, we'll pick up where we left off and continue on in our study tonight. Let's look here, verse number 41 of Acts chapter 2. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread, from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, to open your word, to learn and grow. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see um, this picture of the, the New Testament church, Lord, that you, you founded, Lord, you, you began, um, Lord, you instituted and you gave uh, guidelines and direction to the apostles. Uh, Lord, you taught them concerning um, the doctrine that you wanted them to teach. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue with that same teaching, the same doctrine. Lord, that we would model our church after the church that you have instituted. Lord, that this would be a church that you would bless. And Lord, that we would do things according to your will. And Lord, that we would be strong in our doctrine, um, passionate in our love. Lord, that we'd be faithful in our service. I just pray, Lord, that you would just challenge our hearts tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Acts chapter 2, we remember once again, we see here that there are about 3,000 um, that, that were, had been added to the church. Say, it says 3,000 specifically, but there was more than that that were there. And there were 3,000, though, baby believers that had gotten saved. And now that they, they are preparing them, remember we talked about how that the, the apostles, is like parenthood, now they've got to prepare them for a new life in Christ in a very hostile environment. Very difficult times that they would have been living in to make the decision that they made. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the complexity of that in a little bit, but there were a lot of challenges that they were going through. And, and so there was a lot of transition things that were happening here. And the apostles, this man, talk about going from following Christ. You're going, you know, daily seeing him teach and preach and hearing his, uh, his, his words that he gives them, uh, to them and, and then seeing him crucified. And then here at Pentecost, now they've got this great responsibility. You think about the transition that took place. I mean, there were the multitudes that were following after Christ, but the disciples were kind of just there, and they were doing what Christ told them to do. Now, here they have this great responsibility of this new institution that God has put in place of the, the, the New Testament church. You've got 3,000 believers, and, and now they've got the position of leading them. Of course, they couldn't do it on their own. They had the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon them. 
and, and God was directing them and teaching them and reminding them, and, and, and God was working through all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and we've, we've looked at that here in Acts chapter 2, of course. And so now, now there's a transition from them not just being discipled, not just being a follower of Jesus Christ himself, but now leading people and discipling them and training them from the infancy of being a new child, a new babe in Christ, now to becoming strong uh, individuals within the church. And so we see a great example of this here. It's an amazing proportions of what they're going through. And there's several things that we see here in this passage that are a, a, a brief picture of the life in the early church. And some distinguishing factors or um, might say markers of the, the, the New Testament church. And so last we began looking at one of them. The first one we looked at was the mark of a New Testament church. The marks of a New Testament church. And there were four things that marked that infant church. As we looked at it last week in verse number 42, notice what it says there. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. The very first mark that we saw was it was marked by the truth. Truth being, of course, the doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, the doctrine that was taught to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were continuing the truth of the gospel, the truth of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and training and, and, and preaching and teaching. Uh, and so we see the first thing. Second thing we looked at, it was marked by a, the tie. The tie it said that they continued in apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There was a connection that they had. They were fellowshipping with one another. And, um, and remember, we, we kind of dove, dove into that word last week. I like doing word studies. It's good to delve in and do a study. And, and last week we looked at the first, this was the first occurrence of that word, koinonia. Um, which in the New Testament is that word fellowship that we see there. They were continuing in that fellowship. And the, 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 the word, the root of it, the, is the idea of commonness or commonality. And so these early believers, they shared a commonality with one another based on their faith in Christ. And as we delve, dove into that word last week, we saw that it was very much connected with giving. And being part of the fellowship is giving to one another and meeting each other's needs. And so um, last week, we, the challenge was for us, to, if we want fellowship, we've got to be a giver. We've got to step out and be a giver of our time, talent, treasure, helping people and being involved in their life. Um, but having that fellowship. And so there was a tie, that, that the fellowship that bound them. Um, and so the infant church, thirdly, we looked at, they were marked by the table. Talking about there in verse number 42, the next section you see there, it says they were continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. Now the breaking of bread there, what's it talking about? Yeah, communion, exactly right. And so what do we see here? We see the very beginning of the New Testament church. We see that people got saved, they got baptized, and then they observed the breaking of bread. We see the two ordinances that Christ had given right here. Does anybody notice something that's absent from here that maybe some would say is an ordinance? I thought about this as I was preparing today. I thought, no, it's interesting. I don't see, I don't see them... Saying that they continued daily washing each other's feet. The Brethren Church teaches that that's one of the ordinances that Jesus Christ had given about washing feet. Now, he did wash the disciples' feet, but we don't see a continuance of that. We don't see him commanding that we do that. Now, how many of you all are glad tonight that that's not an ordinance, that we wash each other's feet? Can I either get an amen or a raised hand? If you don't have your hand raised, you're going know, to wash somebody's feet after church? That, no, I'm just joking. Right here. I'm glad that was, <laughs> that was not an ordinance, a command that God gave. Uh, that Jesus Christ gave to the church, but we do see that they, they definitely were breaking bread. They were remembering. They were remembering what Christ had done for them, and, and the reason was, was the, the, the reason for their salvation was because Christ died 
uh, was buried and rose again. And so remembering the, the cost of their salvation. And they continued that steadfastly, the Bible says. And then the next that we see, that they were marked by the throne. And we're just going right down this verse and marked by the throne, talking about they were steadfast in prayer. They continued praying. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. It wasn't something that, that they did when they just got saved. It was a continuation. It wasn't they got saved, they said the sinner's prayer, and now they're just going to go through the rest of their life and, and everything's good and no need to talk to God today. Everything's fine. No, they continued steadfastly in prayer. And so the, the, the early church, the New Testament church, was certainly marked by prayer. That's why we have a midweek Bible and prayer meeting. It's because it's important. It's a very important service, if not the most important service here at this church, it's, it's, it's right up there at the top. It doesn't take a second seat to any of the services that we have. It's important that we study the Word of God and that we pray. That we pray together, pray for one another, pray for revival, pray for our church, pray for our nation. It's important that we do. And so they, they were steadfast. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. And so we see some things that were marked by Tonight I want to continue on, and I want to notice secondly, the main outline, if you're looking at if you're making an outline, would be the membership of a New Testament church. The membership of the New Testament church. 3,000 got saved, remember. They believed. And the 3,000 who confessed faith in Christ and who were baptized are the they, in verse 42, the they who showed the genuineness of their faith by continuing they continued steadfastly. The they, it's talking about, yes, the, the apostles, yes, those 120 disciples that were following, the 3,000, they were the ones that continued showing the genuineness of their faith by continuing and being faithful. Despite the hate, despite the ridicule, despite the persecution they suffered, they remained faithful. Is that not a mark of a true, genuine conversion? A person that gets saved to remain faithful is not, not a mark of a person that claims to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ to remain faithful. It's so important we understand that. Remember the, what the Lord said. Now remember the, the apostles' doctrine or teaching what the Lord had said. Well, the Lord said in John 8, 31, he says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. One of the proving factors of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a continuation of being in the Word of God, of being faithful to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, being faithful and continuing on. And so that, that, that those believers, they, you might say like the illustration of the, the sowing of the seed, they were good seed. They didn't wither and die under persecution. They grew through persecution. And so that the church should be composed of saved individuals is so important to understand. These people were born again. They were saved individuals. They were added into the church after they were baptized. They were, became part of the church. And I can tell you this. If you were to look at the role of the church, of the New Testament church, and you look down through there, all the people that were part of that church were professing believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I said professing. That's what they say. We don't know what's in their heart, but what we do know, the Bible says that they believe. So at least 3,000 of them were born-again believers, and they were members of the church. They were a born-again believer that had been baptized. Now they're a member. We see a precedent there. That's exactly the precedent that we follow here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. We have a, a guideline from the Word of God and, and a guideline that we take and we put as a guideline that if you're going to be a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church, you have to be a born-again believer a professing born-again believer, and one that has been baptized scripturally. 
a believer's baptism. Somebody that's been baptized, that, that has made a public profession of their faith. And so there's, there's a, a couple of ways you can become a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church. You can become a member by you've moved into the area, perhaps you might say, and you come to church and you, you know this is God's will. You prayed about it. God has led you. And so it's a matter of you've, you've already been scripturally saved and, and uh, you've been, um, been baptized, believer's baptism, scriptural baptism. And now you're wanting to become part of the church. Well, you would transfer your membership from the previous church that you were at. You'd come forward at an invitation. You would say, I'm wanting to join Lighthouse Baptist Church. And, um, and I would say this. If you're a person that's interested in that, you need to talk to me. What I'll do is I'll verify that you've been born again, ask you when you got baptized, and verify that. You come and you join at, at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and the church has a vote. We say all in favor, say amen. And everybody always says amen. Any opposed like sign. Since I've been here, going on 25 years, never one time has there been anybody sign like sign and say they don't want the person to become a member. So it's not hard. It's not going to be a, a popularity vote. I can guarantee you that. Um, it's going to be everybody praise the Lord that God has led you here to be part of this church. Now, another way, a person that's not been baptized, they come, they get scripturally baptized, and in doing so, making it known they want to join the church. That's another way to join as well. And we do the exact same thing. We'd have a vote after you got baptized. Person that's not saved, need to get saved. We'll get you baptized, and then you can become part of the church. And that's what we see happening here. You say, where do we get the precedent from? It's right here. It's the Word of God. We see these people got saved, they got baptized, and then they were added to the church. That's why we do it that way. We're trying to follow what a New Testament church is. And we're trying to, to uh, make sure, and, and it's so important that the membership of a New Testament church are born-again believers. You might say, why are you making a big deal about this? Because there are so many churches today that are filled with their membership role with people that are never, have never been born again. They're not born again, let's just put it that way. They're not saved. They've got a church role filled with people that are dead spiritually, and they got a church that's dead as a doornail. Nothing more than let's get together and have a social club. That's what it's all about. Listen, that is not what God intended for the church to be. And, and it's important we understand that. They need to be professors before they, are, uh, b b before they are possessors of membership. They need to profess the fact that they're a child of God and have it be absolute that a person is professing that. Now, when I say absolute, according to what they say, only God really knows that. And so but when a person, though, gives that testimony, that's, that's how they are added to the church. There's something interesting we notice here in verse number 47 that, that Luke, as he writes this verse, he says, look at verse 47. It says, and the Lord added, and the Lord added. Who were added? Who were added? First question. Believers. All right, let's, let's try this. Who were added? Believers. Good. Who added them? The Lord. Good. See, we have to understand that. And see, we get the wrong idea about membership sometimes. We think to ourselves, well, that church has this, 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 and this, and so I'm going to make the decision I'm going to join that church because of what it can do for me. And so I'm going to join there, and then when I get to that church, if that church doesn't fulfill this, this, and this, then I'm going to make an executive decision that I'm going to move my membership somewhere else. That's not how it works, folks. I, I was talking to one preacher, and we were talking about this subject, and he says, you know what I tell my people sometimes? And I, I, yeah, I thought he was kind of brave to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and share what he said. He says, there's some people that are stopped coming to our church, and I'll go and visit them, and I'll say, you know what? I'm going to have a problem when I get to heaven. And they say, why? He says, because I'm going to have to give an account for you. 
Because you know that God called you to be a member of our church and you're not coming and you're going to this other church and I just have to give an account for you. And I'm, I'm having a, it's going to be a challenge for me to give an account for you when you, who are led by God and the Holy Spirit of God to become a member of that church, I have to give an account for you. There's truth to that. There is truth that if God leads you and directs you and you join a church, it's not an arbitrary thing. It's the Lord that added you to the church. Nobody twisted your arm. You didn't make the decision. The only decision you made was to say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. It was the act of obedience to saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. But when you become part of that church, it's then the Lord that would have to lead you elsewhere. Not your flesh, not human reasoning. And we need to be very careful of that. And, and so, but these people, these people were added to the church because the Lord added. The Lord added them. They were saved, they were baptized, they were identified right away with the church there at Jerusalem. They didn't ask the question, need I join the local church? It, we don't see that here. They didn't ask that question. There wasn't a question of, should I join the local church? Uh, they didn't say, well, the Bible study seems to be sufficient. I don't need to join a church. Well, that's been a big thing I've seen in my, in my life. I've seen it grow, where people have, it, they'll, they'll have a Bible study instead of having church. And, and I know that Bible studies, if it's done the right way, a mission work can begin with the Bible study and the planting of a church, but the intent is always going towards trying to get God's people together to become a local body of believers, to become a church. It's not a perpetual Bible study where you sidestep the Word of God for your own desire and convenience. It's, it's so important we understand that. No, the Bible study is, is a good thing, but that doesn't take the place of church. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, you know, going through discipleship or going to a Bible study is not in place of a church service. It should always be an addition to. It should be a supplement to. It is not the joining of yourself together. It's not part of the organized church effort. Now, if it is, I understand that, but that's just one more. And it might be an option you're choosing, but that doesn't take the place of. Getting together for a fellowship time should never replace a church service. Should never. And, and when I say that, I'm talking about there's times we as a church will have some kind of celebration, but it's still a church service. We're coming together. I'm talking about something during the week that you're doing instead of going to church, and you say, well, it's okay because I was fellowship with other brothers in Christ. No, that's not a church service. We need to understand that the Lord added to them. Okay, so believers... They were added, the Lord added, they were added to the church. It's important to become part of the church. You know, there's some people that question the validity of the church membership and whether it's important at all. I've heard people say that. Well, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, I'm good. I don't need to be a member of a church. That is not scriptural. That is not, that is con. Now, when I say not scriptural, yeah, you're a child of God. And yes, you're going to heaven. But we see in the New Testament... The epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul, who are they written to? I'm talking about as a whole. Churches, individual local churches within cities or areas. The churches of Galatia, an area. Church at Rome, the believers there. Church of Philippi, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, to, to Corinth. They're individual, and you see the beginning and how the Apostle Paul, how he writes to them. He is very specific in talking about the churches and talking about them as being a autonomous organization about them being the fact that they have a local 
leader that's there, pastor, or sometimes the word bishop is used, or elder that's used, and having the deacons that are there, and then the saints that are there, individual, we see the autonomy of that church. Here we see the beginning, obviously it's one church at this point, but as you look and study it, you see it begin to grow, and it begins to split out, and you see missionaries that go forth, and churches are planted, and that's exactly why we're here today, the same reason, but we are a local New Testament church. And so it is important, it is important to be part of the body of believers in that local community to fulfill the Great Commission, to work together to fulfill and for God to be glorified. And so it's important we understand that. And so when you look at this, this church here, I want to kind of, you know, you kind of open, remember when you were a kid singing that song or the, the rhyme, you might say, this is the church, this is the steeple, you open the doors and there's all the people. All right, something I remember as a kid, you might not remember that. You think, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But I remember doing that as a kid. We do that all the time, have some fun with that. But I want to open the doors up, what Luke is doing here. Let's open the doors up and look inside the church. Let's see what we see here. What, what do we see when we open the doors? The first thing we notice here is a constancy about them. Constancy, that word works with alliteration. You might say consistency, but constancy is a better alliterated. Um, look at verse number 42, and this is once again, we're hitting, we're kind of repeating this a little bit, but we're building on to it. It says, and they continued steadfastly. Steadfastly. There was a faithfulness in their gathering to lift up the Lord, to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, to be taught and to learn from the Word of God, to work together as a body of believers, a corporate meeting together. There was a consistency of faithfulness to that. And it's unfortunate that, you know, many churches today, you have your biggest crowd on Sunday morning. I heard one person say it this way. Sunday morning is a big blowout. Sunday night service is a little turnout. The midweek service is practically a fallout. It ought not be like that. And, and I've mentioned this before. You know, Wednesday night ought not be the, the least attended service of the week. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I get that. But, you know, it's important that we understand that, that being consistent, being faithful steadfast in being in church is so important. We don't just use this as an illustration. We look at the preponderance of the Word of God, and there's a verse that just jumps out and screams it, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Anybody want to stand up and quote that? Hebrews 10, 25. Go ahead, Brother Randy. But exhorting. It's okay. But exhorting. But exhorting. But exhorting is in there. We see the day approaching. Good. Good job. He was going to chunk, grab off a lot. All those go together. The great verses. No doubt about that. But not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. As the manner of some is. I mean, even more so, we ought to be careful about that as we see the day of... What day is it talking about? Yeah, the day of the, the return. The Lord's coming back soon, and it's so important. And it doesn't mean it's more important today than it was yesterday. Like some people would say, what it's saying is there's going to be a greater... Cha- I believe it's talking about the fact that there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be more of a challenge. And the, it's, it's so... We have to be so careful. And, and so much the more we have to be careful that we're in we're, we're meeting together the way we should 
I, I heard about a little girl. She asked uh, the new neighbor. She says, do you guys go to church? And the neighbor says, we certainly do. Every single Sunday, we go to the Baptist church, me and my mom. Me and my mom, we go every Sunday. She says, what about your dad? Is your dad not Baptist? Well, no, no, he doesn't go every Sunday. My mom, my mom says that he's a seventh-day uh, absentist. Something like that, absentist. Yeah, anyway, bad joke. I'm glad some of you laughed at it. My wife's like, that was, was that a good joke, Charity? No, I liked that. I thought it was a good one. That's the problem, though. There's a, there's a lot of seventh-day ab- absentists today with Christians. People that are absent when it's time to have church. People that are absent. Some of you might even get that later. I don't know. Some of you just got it or something. But anyway, people that are professing Christians, they're absent when they should be present. And it shouldn't be that way. And of course, tonight, I know I'm speaking to the choir. I'm glad you guys are here. But it, just because we're here now doesn't mean that next year we'll be here. It's so easy to get caught into a situation where we, we, it's just one service, then it's two services. Before we know it, we're not being faithful at all. We need to be so careful with that. And, and in the last days, there's going to be a tendency of people to be absent. And, and so it's important that we do that. And so God's people, and as God's people, we need to be together in these last days. We need to be hearing from God. We need to be working. The time is coming when the Lord is going to return. Time is short. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, you may not have um, great talents, as, as some would say. You might not be able to sing. You might not be able to preach. You might not be able to do all kinds of different things. That, I mean, as far as uh, leading and, and maybe even, I mean, well, you name it, whatever it is. You might be able to say, well, I just don't have that much talent. But there's something you do have. You can be faithful. You can be faithful. God will use you. It's not about your talents anyways, by the way, folks. It's about being available to God and being, being dependable. Let God use you. God will, God will do things in your life that are miraculous beyond what you ever thought possible. But you have to be faithful. Being faithful. Faithful to service of the fellowship or the, of the church. And so is there a, a constancy or consistency about you? Are you faithful? Are you too busy to be here when the church meets? I've heard some people say, you know, I never missed a day at work. I went for 20 years and never missed a day at work. I've heard people say, and that, that's commendable. Amazing. Some people, they, they, I knew some people, they had, I mean, they had months left at the end of their time and they're getting ready to retire because they had saved up all those days. Companies had to change rules because of people like that. They would make them only be able to hold so many. But they had all these days. They never missed a day. And yet, there are so many Christians that don't think anything of missing a service. It's important that we have right priorities with this. Now, that all being said, there's times you go out of town. I'm not suggesting that's a problem. There's times you're sick. Goodness, if you're sick, don't come to church if you're running a fever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a decision of deciding whether you're going to be in church or not and not with the right guide or right decision. Um, um, Using, um, I guess, the the lurements of this world to, to pull you away from what's important. Um, and, and if you are doing that, there needs to be a reassignment uh, of our priorities. Um, let me go ahead and move on. So there needs to be, a, a, there was a constancy about them. Secondly, there was a generosity about them. Look at verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Now, does this indicate communal living? Is this a early form of communism? Absolutely not. You have to understand. Now, when you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible, you need to look at the, the, the text, the context. You need to look at the cultural 
of what's going on, a little bit of history would help to understand what's happening. You've got to look at why things happen. Now, that doesn't mean we, we uh, look at something and, and, and then question the Word of God and do away with the, the absolute Word of God, the written Word of God. But there are some that would say by reading this that every one of us, we should be living in a commune and every one of us should sell all that we have and everybody of us should, should live with the exact same thing in common. That's not what this is saying. If you look at the text context and understand the historical uh, 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 environment that's going on here. You see, to understand what's happening here, here are these people, remember now, it's Pentecost. There are thousands of people that are coming from the known world that were Jewish. Many of them were proselytes that had been converted to Judaism. They weren't by their own genealogy going back to, uh, to Isaac. They would have, they would have gotten, uh, perhaps they, they, their family line had been Jews for years, maybe even hundreds of years. Um, but sometime in their lineage, they were converted to Judaism. Um, read the book of Esther. It's a great place to see where that happened in a big way. All right, you can see that happening also in the book of Daniel. Many that were non-believers began to believe in the one and true God. And so they would have been spread throughout. There, obviously, we know the Ethiopian eunuch and came up to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover, and he was there for, for Pentecost. And we see that he was from Ethiopia, from Africa. So there's people from all over the place that would have come in the thousands. Now, here they get there. Many of them have come a long ways. Many of them, now they're there, and they hear... These men speaking in their own language. Or they hear, obviously, in their own ear, their own language as these men are speaking in whatever language they were speaking in. And so they, they, many of them, like 3,000, obviously believed they weren't all people from Jerusalem. They were people from all over the place. So here they are. They weren't planning on staying. They weren't planning on being there for a long period of time, perhaps. And so now what do they have? They're now here. They now just became part of this church in Jerusalem. What are they going to do? And so there were many that needed, they needed a place to live. It was a longstanding tradition in Israel that during the great religious feast that common people in Jerusalem would open up their homes and shared the resources with visitors. That's part of this. That's part of the tradition that was going on here. And so many of the members of the early church were pilgrims. There they are. They're saved now. They stayed to be part of that new work of God there in Jerusalem. And now these people in the city are sharing with them. That's part of it. Another part of it is this. People that got saved, some of them immediately would have lost their position of, of authority. They would have lost their place of their job. Remember, making a public profession of faith and being baptized and following this Jesus that it wasn't 40 days earlier they, they were uh, crucifying and all the persecution that was going on. Many of these people lost their place in society. They were hurting tremendously. They, they, they were they were willing to give it all away because they were true believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so they had to come together. And it says there, look at verse number 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And so the rest of the fellowship, the rest of those that were members of the church, they had to do things to help meet the needs of these people that had lost so much or needed so much at this time. And so this was not some primitive form of communism. This was not cold charity. Um, this was the body of Christ at work. 
This was the hand caring for the foot, the eye looking out for the ear. This was the body working together. This was love, not law. This was compassion, not compulsion. This was something that was spontaneous, voluntary, an expression of love. This was true charity, what's going on here. The helping of one another. And and by the way, what we see, the principle going on here, hasn't changed for today. Now, there's going to be times we might have to do something to help somebody that's in a physical need that might be great, but most of the time, we're not talking about you selling all your goods and doing something. There might be times, though, when you sell something to help for the common good or the, to, for, the, for the cause of Christ. There's no doubt about that. But for us, the, the, the idea of having charity or agape love, being willing to give, not expecting anything in return, that concept has not changed between brothers and sisters in Christ. It ought to still be the same today. Somebody that has a need, helping them out. Being able to help them in an, in an emergency situation, um, helping them with a, a physical, a, a spiritual, whatever the need is that they have. And so here were believers who were in love with the Lord and they were in love with one another. And they had a, a, a burden for lost souls. That's what we see here. And so the challenge then comes to us tonight. Do we care when another member of the body suffers? Do we have the same care for them? Do we have the same love for them, materially, financially, physically, spiritually? Do we have the same love for them? Do we care enough to do something about it? Do we give? Do we see a need and do we give? Remember what John's words were in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. He said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What's that talking about? What does that mean? Yeah, don't just talk about it, do it. You can pray for somebody, but if you, by you putting some feet to your prayer and being able to answer that prayer, do it. Do something to help them. And so we see here that this, this, this early church, this New Testament church, they had a constancy about them. They had a generosity about them. Thirdly, there was a unity about them. A unity. You know what the key phrase for the book of Acts is? You see it six times through the book of Acts. It's found in verse number 46, first one we see here. Look at it, verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meats with gladness and singleness of heart. It wasn't the eating the meats part either, by the way. That's not the theme. The theme is they were in one accord. Unity. Six times you see it repeated throughout the book of Acts. In one accord, in one accord, with one accord, with one accord. Do you know what the early church had that we so desperately need today in churches today? It's unity. We need to have unity. Now, I say that doesn't mean we don't have unity here, but I'm saying that is the thing that is so important to have, to be unified, to have unity, to work together. I remember growing up, I used to like peanuts. I used to like to watch, um, you know, uh, uh, let's see here, the Christmas one. What was that called? The Christmas one with peanuts. It was Charlie Brown's Christmas. That's right. Charlie Brown. Who was his girlfriend or that liked him? Lucy, yeah, and, and all the different characters, kind of funny, but on a side note, it's amazing if you watch that Charlie Brown Christmas, how they have Jesus included in all of it, and the whole reason for the, for the season, and I can't even believe they got away with playing it again this past year. That was pretty good, they, they did, but I, anyway, I heard this, uh, there was a comic strip that was written um, about um, uh, Peanuts cartoons, and Lucy, she demands that she walks into the room, and Linus is watching uh, TV, and she demands Linus to change the channel. 
And Linus says to Lucy, what makes you think you can walk in here and take over? And uh, Lucy, she puts up her hand like this, and she says, these five fingers, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this, they're a single unit. They form a weapon that is a terror to behold. Linus responds, what channel do you want? <laughs> Turning away, he looks at his fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Unity, working together. Do we know anything about it? I think we do. Are there times when it's challenged? Yes, it is. Is it something we have to be vigilant about and continually work on? Absolutely. What does it take to have disunity? Who does it take to have disunity? Think about it. What does it take to have unity? Well, we have to all be united. How many people causes disunity? It could be just one. There could be one person that could cause disunity within the membership here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And here's the thing. It could be you. It could be me. We have to be so careful. Listen, this is one of those things where we don't look at and say, well, that person over there is not causing unity very well. Or that person over there. No, it's, we have to start with right here because all it takes is one. All it takes is one of us. And I can tell you this. You, I, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. I doubt anybody will raise their hand. I hope you don't. Anybody want the devil to have his, his way here? Anybody? Now, we say we don't, but when we become the one that causes the disunity, that's exactly what we're doing. We're letting the devil work through us. We just started 21 days of prayer and fasting. I say this every year, and I didn't used to say it, but I have for some years now. Every time we start to pray and people in this church are praying and we're praying around the clock and people are fasting, the devil begins to attack in ways like he won't the rest of the year. He attacks, I've seen every year something comes up. There's going to be some kind of attempt by the devil to cause disunity in this church. You can mark it down, it's going to happen. Now I say it's going to happen. It could be revealed or it could be hidden. It could be him attacking and people saying, I'm not going to allow you, devil, to cause it in my heart that there's going to be disunity. And the devil doesn't have to get the victory. But I'm telling you, I see the devil try hard and there's something that comes out. There's always something. And the devil tries to attack. And he, his tactics have never changed. They continue to be the same. Listen, the devil cannot hinder the work of God. If you can't do it without, he'll try to do it from within. He'll try to find the weakest link right here in this place. He'll try to work through you and cause disunity. Are you giving him a foothold in your life? Are you allowing the devil to do the work in your life? Are you speaking evil of your brother in Christ? Speaking evil of your sister in Christ. That's giving the devil a foothold. And that's akin to being dis, having disunity within the church. You can't be having unity and having people bickering with one another and talking about one another behind their back. That's not possible. In James 4.11, the Bible says this, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. You're just a judge. You're just a judge. Are you talking about that person and speaking evil about them? Or how about sowing discord among the brethren? It's the same difference, basically. 
By the way, sowing discord among the brethren in Proverbs chapter 6 is one of the things that God says He hates. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates it. Causing there to be division. Are you accusing your brother or sister in the Lord? I'm not saying are you accusing them in the Lord. I'm talking about your brother and sister in the Lord. Are you accusing them? Are you saying things about them? Are you talking about them? Is there a lack of unity between you? Something's wrong. You ever heard the story about the two sisters who are always fighting? Maybe you had sisters or daughters. <laughs> I had a couple of daughters. I had five daughters. There was two of them that liked to get, in, get into it a little bit. Normally, it's the ones that are closest like each other that fight the most. Callie and Gabrielle, they were the ones that got into it the most. They were. They don't anymore. They're, they're, they're like best friends. Live in the same house right now, so they better be again. Things are good now. But man, when they were young, man, they would argue. They'd, well, this, these two sisters, they were arguing. The mom finally came up and said, you girls are sisters. You ought to love one another. Stop with this bickering. There was a silence for a moment. And one of the girls said, but mom, is it okay if I just like her? Because I can't stand and love her. No, it's not okay. We're to love one another. Love one another. Remember what Christ said in John 13, 34. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Bicker and fighting, lack of unity, that's going to cause problems in the church. It's going to hurt. And by the way, remember what I said, all it takes is one. It begins to multiply, but all it takes is that one. And so we all have to be very vigilant about this. Be very careful about this. There ought not be a disunity within the church. Notice also there was a radiancy about them. A radiancy. Look at verse 46 again. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here we have a church that, I mean, they're praising God. They're having, when you read this, you see that they're enjoying being together. They're enjoying being in church. There was a radiancy about them. Does it really surprise us that a, a, a church that is consistent or believers that are consistent, that are sharing, that are loving, that are unified, they're also joyful. They have a joyful church. One of the reasons for that joy was their singleness of heart. There in verse 46 it says, the singleness of heart, that unity they had. Or you might say even their sincerity that they had and their love that they had. That word there for, for singleness of heart, it, it appears here, uh, only here in the New Testament. It means simplicity. It's derived from a root word meaning free from rocks. Really? Yeah, free from rocks. In other words, there were no stones of selfishness in their hearts, you might say. They, they had nothing in that. They, they, they were at peace. They had joy with their heart. Praising God also produced joy in their life. Have you lost the joy of the Lord? Have you lost the joy of the Lord? Have, have you Maybe for you, the joy of the Lord has been lost. I'm not just talking about on a personal level. I'm talking about in church. It ought not be that way. 
Joy. We ought to have. Listen, in John 15, 11, notice what the joy of him who said, he said, these things have I spoken unto you, talking about Jesus saying this, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Full. Where's your joy level? What's gotten to it? What's affected it? What's impacting the joy in your life? So here we see just a, a wonderful picture of the church here. And the, the fact that they, they had a, there was a radiancy about them. Here the church, the, they, they, were, they were united. They were consistent. They were generous with one another. And so tonight, as we bring this message to a close, I just ask you, what makes a church? Of course, it's the body of believers. And so these individual things that we see here, it's not a matter of just judging what our church is. It's a matter of looking at where are we at. Are we consistent? Are we generous? Do we have unity? And as a result of those things, is there a radiance? Is there a joy that we have as a child of God? Is there some place that's gotten out of whack? Is there something that's changed? Is there some conversation that we need to stop? Are there things that have been said that should be made right? Is there a lack of of, of generosity and helping those that are in need? Is there a problem with consistency? A challenge to us? I want Lighthouse Baptist Church to be just like this church at Jerusalem. There's going to be some things that can't be exactly the same. We've already talked about that, the birthing of the church and that exact moment the Holy Spirit was given and sign gifts and things like that. But you know what? We always talk about these sign gifts and people talk about this and how we could, you know, they talk about going back to Pentecost. Well, if we can go back to Pentecost, we don't need to go back there for the sign gifts. We don't need to go back there for the Holy Spirit because we've already got the Holy Spirit. We don't need to go back there for some of those things. But I'll tell you what, we ought to go back and see these things that were produced by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in that church and the sweet fellowship that was there. And that's what we ought to have at Lighthouse Baptist Church. A consistency fervency and loving God and loving each other. Unity and having a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, thank you so much for loving us and the privilege, Lord, to, to know to know you. Lord, you've allowed yourself. You've opened up your Realms of glory, Lord, that we can come into your presence. Lord, you've made it all possible, and I thank you so much for it. Lord, I thank you for our church. We thank you for Lighthouse Baptist Church, Lord, and that's a name, but it represents a people. Lord, we thank you for our body of believers here, and I pray, Lord, that we would truly be a church that is consistent, generous in our love and compassion for you, first and foremost, and for one another. We're united in the common cause and reason. There'd be nothing that would cause division. Lord, that there'd be a radiance of joy in this place. A joy because of what you've done for us. And Lord, as we're serving you and faithful, Lord, to see you bless and use us in a great and powerful way. Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, I just invite you tonight to Ask yourself the question, are you consistent? Are you faithful? Do you have charity? Do you have a heart of love and a heart of forgiving and helping those in need? How about unity? Unity.
Do you have the joy? Have you lost your joy? There might be some things in your life you need to get taken care of to get that joy back. It's a choice. I invite you there where you're at tonight. If you need to pray, would you just go to God and ask God to help you? Maybe ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to restore that joy. Would you make a commitment to being faithful? Faithfully serving God, faithfully being with the assembly together?